But if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 8 as we continue through this gospel. And let's pray once again as we look to this passage. Father, we are grateful that you speak still. Lord, that your spirit works within us and reveals your truth to us. We are grateful that tonight we have opportunity to hear from you. And that's what we pray, that we would hear from you and that you would speak into our lives through these passages that we read here tonight. Lord, thank you again for your faithfulness and your goodness to us, Lord, for your love and your mercy. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start reading verses 1 and let's go all the way through 17 and then we'll talk about it together. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Remember, this is right after the Sermon on the Mount. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and asked, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not desire to have you come under my roof. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the king, subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Well, tonight we're going to look a little bit on healing. And whenever you mention healing, uh, a lot of questions come up. There's a lot of even anxiousness about healing because depending on your background, where you come from, your ideas of healing and what that looks like varies, even in this room. And just out of curiosity, how many of you grown up believing that uh, 
it's God's will for everyone to be healed. Have any of you grown up with that aspect? This isn't to say you're wrong or bad or anything like that. This is just trying to get the diversity. Have you? Physically. How many have you maybe grown up believing that God no longer heals physically, that that was something that Jesus did, but it's something that is no longer happening? Any of you? Nope. We're all, I guess, in the same boat, huh? I know with healing, we wonder, does God still heal or, or why does God heal some and not others? If we're in a crowd here that believe, do you guys all believe that, that the Lord still, still heals? You all believe that? Do you ever wonder why does he heal some and not others? Okay, good. At least we're honest. Uh, those are the questions that come up. And those are some of the things that we want to kind of look into a little bit here. And how about healing? What does it depend on? Does it depend on my faith? Have you guys heard that? It's up to you and your faith, depending on your faith. Okay, so, so there are a lot of questions that come to our mind when we talk about healing. Because let's face it, healing is a miracle. It's miraculous. That's what we're talking about here. When Jesus heals, this is something that he does that is not usual. It's not an everyday occurrence. If it was an everyday occurrence, we wouldn't call them miracles. We'd call them usuals or something. You know, it would be, this is just what we expect. And so miracles are something that is unique. And what we're saying here is that God is not taking just a neutral stand, but he's actually breaking in and showing us his kingdom. He's, he's showing us that he is able to reverse nature and able to do what is contrary to the natural realm. That's kind of what healing is about. God breaking in, changing the natural order of things, showing that he has the power to do just that, that he is above and beyond what is, quote, natural. And so there's great hope when we see the miraculous. We, we get encouraged. We, we see and read these things and we think, wow, he's able to do amazing things. There's nothing impossible for him. And so our faith is encouraged. It is lifted as we see him do what is miraculous. And here in this passage that we read, we see three different healings, specifically. And then at the end, he talks about him healing all that were sick and, and delivering some from demons as well. But the three people that are focused on here are very controversial to the time and period that Matthew is writing. And it's on purpose. Matthew is pointing out these specific miracles and healings on purpose. He could have talked about many others, but he purposefully is pointing out these three. And just like we saw in the genealogy that Matthew purposefully brought out those women who weren't the matriarchs, a part of Jesus' genealogy, he's doing the same thing here with these miracles. The first person that he talks about in the healing is the leper. Leprosy was something that was very feared at the time. If you were a leper, you were cast out of the community. You had to live outside. And so imagine this. Jesus is on the mount giving the sermon that we 
gone over. It's funny. This is like halfway through his first day, and we're two months into it, okay? This could take us a while to get through his ministry. But Jesus is up on the Sermon on the Mount speaking, and somewhere probably this leper is off off to the side by himself, and he hears what he has never heard before. This man is speaking hope into his life. And when he talks about the poor in spirit, when he talks about those who mourn, when he talks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it pierces his soul. Because he's talking about him. And all those things that Jesus spoke about in his sermon, he is now bringing into practice in his ministry. He is bringing this healing to those he was just speaking about. And so this leper hears this, and he's not allowed to be with the regular people, the, the healthy people. If they see him, they, they shout out that there's someone unclean, and he has to live outside of the city, and he's separated from his family, and no one wants to touch him because they're in fear that they might contract this disease. And so here's someone who's been isolated, but he hears the message of Jesus, and no one has ever spoken like this before. And so he is drawn in and he develops the courage and goes and he asks Jesus. And Jesus does something that is outrageous. He touches him. This would be like if someone had tuberculosis or perhaps was in a hospice dying of AIDS. Someone who's isolated and Jesus specifically touches that person. The second person is even more controversial, and it's a centurion. It's a Roman soldier. It's a Gentile. This is someone who was outside the religious community at that time, who was not one of your allies. This is someone who is considered an enemy, someone who is hostile towards your nation and your beliefs. And Jesus reaches out to him. This might be like an undocumented illegal alien. Someone who, you know, you, you don't want to show favor towards, Jesus does. And the third one was a woman. And touching a woman in a, a society that was very segregated, especially in the religious community, and touching a woman who was married to another man was not looked on as being acceptable. And Matthew knew this, and that's why he's writing this. He's writing us to let us know that Jesus did what was not normal at that time to do. He touched the leper. He healed the centurion, the Gentile's servant. And he touched Peter's wife and healed her. And so right off the bat, Matthew is bringing out these things that Jesus is reaching those who, again, we would not normally look favorable upon. People who we would consider not in the fold, not a part of what God really would care for. And Jesus is saying, no, I care for them. And so, you know, to try and bring this into our society, we, we think, and how would this look if Jesus was to reach out to these people who were considered unfavorable? And that's exactly what he's doing. And in verse 1, 
where he says he came down from the mountain and he touched this leper. There's some important things that we need to talk about this because, first of all, we see in this man with leprosy humility as well as an expectancy. He is willing to trust Jesus. He believes that he has the power to touch him and to heal him. And so he asks Jesus, and what what courage did it take for him to go up and approach Jesus, knowing that he was a leper, knowing that he was someone that would be kicked out, would be scrutinized. If they saw him, they would scream, a leper, get him out of here. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus purposefully touches him. And when he touched him, you could hear the gasp. <gasps> oh no, Jesus, don't. Too late, he touched him. I know there's germophobic people amongst us. Um, I know that it's very prevalent in our society. We have antibacterial soap, antibacterial wipes, we have antibacterial everything. The idea of purposefully engaging someone in this condition is frightening. But Jesus was moved and willing, which shows us the heart of God. When my kids were little, one of my the twins, I don't remember if it was Samuel or Jordan, when they were three or four years old, I took them to the doctor. They were really sick, and you know how kids are when they're sick. They're just whiny, complainy, kind of feverish, lethargic, which was totally unlike them. And so they're sitting there, and I remember I had one of the kids on my lap, and they're doing the whole thing, checking throat, ears, and all that stuff. And the doctor comes in, and he says, well, your, your son has strep throat, and it's very contagious. And he's sitting on my lap right at the time. And he goes, so you really need to keep yourself from him. And I'm sitting here, and my kids, and my son looks at me like, what does that mean, Dad? You know, <laughs> am I banished from the house? What does that mean? And I remember thinking at that time, he kept talking to me like, you're not responding to me. You're supposed to separate yourself from, and like, I'm sure I'm going to take my three-year-old right now and just put him on the chair on the other side of the room and say, okay, how's that, doctor? I can't do that. I will make myself susceptible to strep throat because I'm not going to banish my child. And Jesus is willing to step into this man's condition, physically touch him and heal him. Again, we see the heart of God reaching out for him. Now, this scripture has been used for many people to say that it's God's will to heal everybody. If you're willing, you can heal me. I am willing, Jesus says, touches them. See, it's Jesus's will for everyone to be healed. I knew a young man who was in a wheelchair because of a car accident, and he was paralyzed from the waist down. And we were taking him to church and, and he was really seemed to be growing in his faith and relationship with, 
with the Lord. He had been a real partier. In fact, there was drinking involved with the accident. And it seemed like he was really embracing this relationship with the Lord. And then someone started talking to him about God, it's God's will for you to be healed. All you need to do is confess it. See, Jesus said, I am willing, be healed. And so he started going to every healing service, started going to all these things because he knew it was God's will for him to get up out of that wheelchair. And he never did. And after a period of time, he ended up turning away from the Lord because he felt that God had let him down. And the truth is, people let him down. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul talks about praying three times for this affliction, this thorn in the flesh, to be removed from him. And Jesus' response to Paul was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Paul told Timothy, take some wine for your frequent, frequent stomach ailments. So apparently, Timothy had some stomach problems. Paul said that Epaphras, their servant, the Lord had mercy on him and healed him, even though you heard he was sick and sick near to death. There are saints in Scripture who weren't healed immediately and some that weren't healed at all. And so it doesn't mean that Jesus is willing every time to heal us, which troubles us. Why not? Who, who, who gets healed? Why? And how does that work? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But it's important for us to see that when Jesus says, I am willing, be healed, that's not a blanket statement that you can throw over the world. Jesus is willing, be healed, because there are times when that doesn't take place in the same way. And to throw that on someone who is sick or someone who's in a wheelchair is just cruel. I remember talking to this young man in the wheelchair and trying to convey to him, this isn't how it is. And here I am trying to tell this guy whose hope is, man, I'm going to get out of this wheelchair and be, have to tell him, you know, God doesn't always do that. We'll pray for you, but God doesn't always do that. You feel like such a, a mean person. I felt like I was just raining on his parade, you know, I'm telling you you're not going to be healed. And I wasn't trying to tell him not to pray. I was just trying to tell him, don't put your hope in the healing. And that's a difficult thing. But we see that Jesus does touch and heal him. But then what he does also is he tells him to go and show himself to the priest after he was healed in the matter that Moses commanded. And so we see that with the healing, there's validation and there's verification. In other words, this is genuine. This isn't what we see on TV. You know, where they're in the audience or the whole stadium is there and he's going and he's healing 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 and there's never any validation you never see the follow-up you don't see what happens afterwards it's you know who is this person who's dancing around who said they could never walk before you know now they can is there any validation is there any verification that this is legit and you don't have it most of that time it's it's not and that's why people get so skeptical but jesus is going and says 
Go to the priest, do what the law commands, verify it. This really took place. And so we see there's validation to what Jesus did, and it's not isolated. Even though he wanted them, him not to tell anybody, he wanted him to verify it. And I think that's important. He wasn't there for the publicity, but he did want to validate what really happened. And so that's what he does. Now, in the centurion's case, I love this story because the centurion asked Jesus to heal him. Here's someone else who is probably hearing Jesus' sermon and said, you know what, even though the Jews have nothing to do and see me as their enemy, I feel that I can approach this man and ask him something. That tells me something, that he is willing to go up to Jesus and ask him. And the way he asks him is, again, filled with this spirit of humility. He's asking for help, and he calls him Lord. And so we see this relational aspect there where he doesn't come as a person of authority. You know, I'm a centurion, I'm a Roman, I have the right to govern you or to tell you what to do. He actually calls him Lord. And so we see the relational aspect that's important to to realize. And as he says, Jesus, I've got this servant, he's sick, and he's suffering tremendously because he's paralyzed. And then Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? Jesus is willing to go to his home, which again is outlandish. You don't do that, not to a Roman. He's a centurion. That means he's over a hundred other Roman soldiers. These are the people who are oppressing us and you're going to go into their home? Matthew's not writing this by accident. He's, he's telling us this on purpose. But the centurion says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my home. I, I don't deserve that you would come into my home. And, and then he goes on and he says in verse 9, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes. That one, come, he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He says, I'm a person of authority. I'm over a 100 men. There were people who were over a legion, over a 1,000. Cohort was 15 to 25. The, he knew the authority kind of principle. He knows what it's like to be over people. And so what he's saying to Jesus is, I recognize your authority here. You are a person of authority, and I believe that you are a person that even sickness is under your authority. And so he tells Jesus, you don't have to come. All you have to do is give the word because your word is enough. And it says that Jesus was amazed. Think about that. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. What, what does that make you think to amaze Jesus? That this person responded and Jesus was amazed at him. We should look then closely at what happened. If Jesus was amazed, we need to know why. And not only was he amazed, but then he goes and he gives a warning. He says, truly I tell you that I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. Verse 11, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus again is speaking to a Gentile. And so he's talking about those who are outside of the Israel fold will be brought into the table. And those who were supposed to be a part of this, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside. And so he's, he's really stirring things up here. But I don't think we should just limit this. I don't think we should think of this as, you know, it's just the Jews and the Gentiles. I think it's a lot deeper than that. I think we can easily dismiss this or maybe too easily dismiss this and restrict it to this historical group of the Jewish Pharisee kind of thing. But really, it's speaking to those who become comfortable with that limited knowledge that we have of Jesus. Do you realize that your knowledge of Jesus is limited? You know, I've been a follower of Christ for over 30 years. And in that 30 years, I can say I've been pretty steadily studying about Jesus. And I can honestly say that after 30 years of being involved with studying about Jesus, whether reading commentaries, the scripture, hearing Bible studies, whatever it is, that I have a very limited knowledge of who Jesus is. In other words, he is much more than I know, and I've been trying to get to know him for some 30 years. And it would be real easy for me to get comfortable with thinking, well, I know about Jesus. After all, I've been studying about him for 30 years. I've been reading the scriptures. Yeah, I, I know a lot of passages. You start to quote it, I'll finish it for you. I know the scriptures. And it's real easy for us to get comfortable with this limited knowledge that we have and feel that we really don't need to pursue him any further. We, we've already got what we need to know. I'm saved. That's all I needed. And, and sometimes... Just to be truthful to you, I, I get irked when people come up to me and they say, after I've shared something, and say, well, thanks for the reminder. Oh, sure, no problem. That's all I'm here to do is just give you a little reminder. And, and it's not that reminding people isn't bad. I mean, it's a good thing. But what, what comes across sometimes is, you know, I already know everything. You just reminded me of what I already know. Thanks for the reminder. Ah, that's all I'm here for, just to give you a reminder. And what I think happens to us who believe is we get comfortable and we think that we've reached the end. We've come to the finish line. We know all there needs to know. All we need to do is be reminded of it. And so now the expectancy dwindles. We, we don't really expect any more from God. We just show up and we just do our religious duty. I go to church, yeah, because that's what I do. I'm a Christian. I go, oh, yeah, that was a good study. Yeah, I got, a, I got something out of that one. And, and you see what's happening? It becomes something that we go and we expect. Okay, give me something. What do you get, got for me? Ah, I've heard that. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. That was okay. 
But really, what are we expecting? And who are we expecting it from? I mean, let's face it. I know I'm not that great every week, okay? I, I know, I know there, there are studies that are, hmm, that was, you know, I've had better. I know that. And some of you know that too. You're like, yeah, that's, I'm, thanks for trying. Um, but really, what are you expecting and who are you expecting it from? Because what you bring into this is so important what you're going to get out of it. There have been times where I am going through hard times, difficult times, emotionally struggling with a situation, with family, friends, circumstances, jobs, whatever it is. There's times where I'm in a position where I am just desperate. And then we come into a place where we're singing and every song is like God given to my soul that just bursts within me and the words have so much impact and meaning because I am desperate to be in touch with God. And I hear someone speak in the scriptures I read or a devotion and they just pierce my soul because I am in a position of desperation. I want to receive something from God. And then there are times. Oh, that song again? What's the difference? The difference is me. See, this centurion expected Jesus to be able to do something amazing. All you got to do is say the word, and it's a done deal. Do we come saying, Jesus, all you have to do is speak to my heart, speak to my life, and it's done. You have the ability to transform me right here tonight. As we just sit here and talk about your scriptures and I hear these things, God, they are able to change my life from this moment forever. Or is it Thursday night study? Gotta go. See, what we bring to this table many times is going to determine what we come away with. That's what Jesus is saying about the centurion. He's amazed. Why? Because he was expecting Jesus to do the amazing. He believed that he could. And I fear some of the biggest dangers in our life is we no longer expect Jesus to do the amazing. We don't come with anticipation. We don't come longing we don't come desiring to receive. We, we come to a service and we know the routine. There's going to be some music. You know, we'll pop some bread in the toaster and it'll come out. About an hour later, the service is done. You know, give the last song. You know, they could really do it in an hour, but for some reason they do it for an hour and a half. You know, I, I know what you're thinking. Uh, and it's just, we don't come like, God, I'm coming to get something from you. In spite of who's singing, in spite of who's talking, I need to hear from the living God. Otherwise, I'm going away the same I came in here. And then we just, you know, wonder, what did we get out of it? Maybe the question should be, how did you do? 
You know, when you went to the service, did you come attentive? Did you fight off distraction? Did you come expecting to receive? Did you come desperate to have that touch from the Lord, to receive those things that were necessary, that God would meet you and transform you here or or at the school? Do you come expecting? How did you do? Instead of asking how I did. See, I'm taking the blame off and pressure off me. This isn't about me. How did you guys do tonight, huh? What did you do? I read the scriptures. What did you do? How did you do? Did you deal with those things properly? Did they penetrate your life? It's like we have a postcard of, of the Grand Canyon in our hands, and we think, yeah, that's big. Well, when you go there, it's big. And so many times I think we're, we're settling for this postcard. Oh, yeah, I've seen the Grand Canyon. I got the postcard. It's not the same. It's not the same. And so don't settle for a postcard. Here, here in this passage, the person who you would least expect to have faith comes expectingly. This Gentile, this person who did not know the Jewish scriptures, came expectantly, and Jesus has amazed response to his faith. How could he have such faith? He didn't know about the scriptures. He didn't know all these things. He just a centurion. Whatever his background is, it's limited compared to those who are of Israel. That's the whole point here. Transfer that to us. Now we are followers of Christ. We have the scriptures just like they had the scriptures. How do you come to Jesus? Is it expectant? I I know that some of the deepest conversations I've had, the most honest conversations I've had about God and about faith have been with people who are not believers. How can that happen? They don't know. They come expectant. In fact, I find many people who aren't believers have more expectancy for even supernatural things to happen good or bad, than a lot of Christians do. God is wanting to reach them, and don't be surprised when those who you would least expect show up and show an amazing faith. In fact, guard your heart so that you're not one of the ones who becomes numb to those kinds of things. And then it says in verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And here's where people again twist things. Just as you believed, that means that it was his faith. Because he had enough faith, that's why the centurion's servant was healed. But he didn't put faith in his faith. He put faith in Jesus' authority. And that's really important because a lot of times you hear the idea of faith, but faith is always connected to something. You don't have faith in faith. You have faith in something. He had faith in Jesus' authority. He didn't have faith in his faith. 
And so it's not a matter of how much you believe that determines whether you will be healed or your servant will be healed or your child will be healed or not. We have faith in Jesus' authority, and it's up to him to decide how that healing is going to take place. And we have to have confidence in him and trust in him because sometimes he doesn't. And we wonder and we struggle, why not? Why didn't you? Well, I have faith in your authority, Jesus, and I trust your goodness. You will do what is best. Remember this, and this is something you need to write down somewhere in your mind that all healing is temporary. All healing is temporary. You see, the leper still died. The centurion's servant still died. Peter's wife still died. The healing was only for that moment, but it didn't stop the process of death. All it did was break through the kingdom of heaven and show God is real. He is able to do the miraculous to prove that he exists, to prove that the kingdom is real. That was the point. All healing is temporary. And if you remember that, it can keep you from going down that path of despair of why didn't this happen to me? Well, remember this. It doesn't happen to everyone, and it only happens for a temporary period of time. Because there is an eternity that is waiting that is more important. It's eternal. This life, however healthy you are in it, you're going to have to deal with it temporarily. And we have to keep that in mind. Otherwise, our focus becomes on the health, becomes on the temporary, and they're supposed to point us to the eternal, point us to Jesus and who he is. And so we see that the centurion put his faith in Jesus' authority, not in his own faith. And then we come to the last one. When Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed. I've been saying his wife, sorry. His mother-in-law lying in bed with fever. I just keep thinking he had a wife because that's why he has a mother-in-law. Um, just for those of you who are wondering about Peter, how could he have a wife? Uh, he does because he's got a mother-in-law. Uh, lying in bed with a fever. Now here we see that he touched her and no one asked. No one said anything. She didn't ask to be healed. We don't know if she was sleeping or she was just in bed. She was sick with a fever. Jesus went and touched her and healed her. And in all these circumstances, it, it's different. And Jesus is always doing things different. He doesn't heal the same way. And I think that's purposefully. There were some times where Jesus spit in the ground and made mud. You know how much spit it takes to make mud? It takes a lot of spit to make mud, and then he put it on the blind man's eyes. Why did he do that? Read all the commentaries you want. Nobody knows. We don't know why he did that. That just seems so strange. Everyone has these little ideas, but you know, no one knows for sure. He just did it different. Why? Because he wanted to. Because it's up to him. You see, the healing is up to him. It's not that we have the power. It's not that we have the faith. 
How much faith did Lazarus have when he was dead? None. He was dead. You don't have faith if you're dead. Now, he's amazed when someone does have faith, and he blesses him for that faith, but it doesn't guarantee healing. And a person who's not even asking for it gets healed because, again, Jesus is showing that he is good. It's his goodness. It's his mercy. He's reaching out. And again, he's breaking social customs by touching her. And it's something that you would almost pass over in light of some of the other, you know, leprosy. That's big, you know, or a person who's paralyzed or the blind. Yeah, those are big. She just had a fever. And so it shows that he's concerned even with the smaller things like a fever. I know people say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to ask God for prayer because it's just this. It shows that he cares. In fact, he says in conclusion in verse 17, he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is an important passage because this is showing that Jesus identified with us. That Jesus bore, and the idea for bearing here is he took it as a burden, like a backpack that you would carry on your back. And so the suffering that he saw people go through, he took it as his own suffering. It burdened him. This does not mean that when he died on the cross, he took our sickness. How do you know that? Because it's fulfilled while he is still alive. This was fulfilled in his ministry, not on the cross. And so the fulfillment of Isaiah's passage, he bore our sicknesses, is not something that he did on the cross. It's something that he did in his ministry. And the word that is used there isn't one where he vicariously took it in himself, but he put it on himself like a burden. And so Jesus cared so much for the people and their hurts that were going on around him that he identified with them, that he felt them, and that he carried them with him as a burden. And I point this out because, again, it is prominent in Pentecostal theology to say that Jesus died for our sicknesses. By his stripes we are healed. See, that's talking about sickness, but in Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, in fact, turn there real quick with me. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but here we are. Let's start at verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What steps are that? The steps of his suffering. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, but he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Listen to this. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd 
an overseer of your soul. So what is he talking about? Is he talking about physical sins or is he talking about or physical healing or is he talking about our sins? What did he bear on the cross? By your stripes, what did he heal? He healed us from our sins. That's why it talks about sheep going astray. And now you have returned to the shepherd of your souls. What is that referring to? That's referring to salvation. There are places in scripture where Jesus says, tell them this. This is fulfilling what Isaiah spoke, that the the blind see, that the, the lame are walking and that the poor have the gospel preached to them and that they are healed. And some passages say, and their sins are forgiven. They're used synonymously. Jesus died for our sins and healing is the total package. It includes the healing of us physically. It includes the healing of us spiritually. So when he's dying for our sins, he's dying because one day these bodies will be redeemed. And Jesus did die for that, but he didn't die on the cross so that you wouldn't get a cold. He didn't die on the cross so that if you had a fever, it wouldn't happen. He bore that in his ministry, in his person. He cared for that, but he died so that you would be made a whole human being, which will happen when our bodies are redeemed. You guys understand the difference? That he didn't die just so that you wouldn't get sick because you're still going to get sick and every one of you are going to die unless he returns. That's not why he went to the cross. And so you have to dance around that to try and say that he died for our sicknesses means that he died just for the physical ailments. There is a sickness that is of the soul that is referring to, I believe here in Peter, that again is the interpretation of Isaiah's passage. We were like sheep straying. That's what he died for, for that. So, in closing, as we looked at the healings that Jesus did, I I think if I were to try and encourage anything, it would be that you would expect more from Jesus than you currently expect. That you would be like the centurion and saying, you know, Jesus, you have the ability to do in my life, so much more than I'm even aware of. You just need to say the word and you can change, maybe not the circumstance, but you can change me. You, you can deal with what's going on. When I have those times of doubt or uh, depression or those times where I'm in despair, those times where I'm aggravated, those times where I'm hostile maybe towards people or towards God, Jesus you have the ability to change and fix those things. If we come in humility like the leper, if we come in expectancy like the centurion, if we surrender ourselves like them, recognizing I'm not worthy, but if you're willing, you can heal. You can heal the sickness. You can heal this relationship. You can heal this addiction. You can heal this problem that I'm facing. Jesus, you can do it. And maybe he will do the miraculous. Maybe you you have not because you ask not. Or maybe he will tell you, my grace is enough for you. But he will show up. He showed up for Paul even though the answer was no. He showed up in these three instances 
with healing. He will show up. Do you believe that? Are you expecting that? Do you trust that he will? Or do you have to work it out and you have to fix things yourself? He will do it. He will show up. And we need to have that expectancy. Don't become numb. Sometimes this happens where we we don't see healing and so, or we don't get the answer we want and so there becomes a sense of distrust for God. There becomes a, a sense of distance. You distance yourself from God. You don't say so. You still, you know, go to church. You still maybe read your devotions, but there's this kind of pushing God off. Well, he didn't do things the way I wanted to and so I don't really trust him. And so we push him off and away from us He's not ignoring your hardship. He's not ignoring your difficulty. He bears it on his own shoulders, just like he did here, fulfilling the scripture that he himself bore our burdens, carried our disease. He knows exactly what you're going through. The question isn't, well, why doesn't he do what I'm expecting him to do? The question might be, what am I expecting? The question might be to change my condition before I expect God to change the condition around me. And sometimes what we really need to do is receive the condition we're in. And this is the hard one. To receive that ailment, that difficulty, that hardship as a gift of grace. To say... I can take this. You're with me and your grace is enough. And that's the real hard thing, I think, sometimes. Because we don't like those things. But do you see God with you in that circumstance? And can you receive it as a gift of grace? Now, I want to do a couple things in the minutes that we have left. Um, I want to answer any questions you guys have on this, but I also want to have a little bit of time for prayer. I know uh, James mentioned Janine's going in for surgery. want to pray for her. Uh, a friend of mine, um, his son, uh, was in a snowboarding accident, and he had to be airlifted to a hospital because he had uh, bleeding in his brain. Um, it was pretty serious. Named Noah. want to pray for him together. And other requests that you guys might have. Um, but first I want to throw out some opportunity for questions. Can't guarantee I have answers, but we can discuss them. If there's some things maybe that came up that you're curious about and you'd like to ask about further. Father, we do thank you again for just the confidence that we have in you, Lord. Lord, we do not need you to be here physically. We trust that if you just say the word, Lord, you can answer all these requests, Lord, and even those that were not verbalized, Lord. You know us, you care, and Father, we trust you. Lord, we trust that you will do a work in each of the lives that we've lifted up before you. We trust that you will do a work in our own hearts, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your loving concern, Lord, that is evident in your son, Jesus. Lord, we do love you. And again, thank you for our time here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.